Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Garage Logic, broadcasting live from the office of the mayor above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake. Featuring the rookie on production, Chris Reavers, vice president of social media, and John Height in the newsroom. Now, the Fireworks Commissioner, Flashlight King, and Keeper of Common Sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. Commencing the Logic's Logic segment number one. What did you just say, Reavers? 69 gorgeous degrees, sir. Then you had something at the end. Rock? Oh, I snickered. Because I'm sophomoric. Yep. Twins play tonight? Yep, 7 o'clock. Now they're back to three or games seven, under ten, 500. Whatever it is. One and nothing loss. You got to score to win. No runs? No, no wins. Nope. Players. You know, yesterday it came up via a caller uh, that I for one, missed a uh, the local Fox 9 investigative television report on what sounds like a fraudulent effort to uh, take a great deal of money for Minnesota taxpayers by Somalis who then take it to, to the homeland. Right. Where it might fall into the hands of terrorists. It's an extraordinary story. Why, why, why doesn't it have legs all over the front pages of the papers? I was wondering that very same thing. I, I why hope isn't it will this now. the le- why isn't the, why isn't this the lead activity of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension? Why isn't of, this the lead a story of the local FBI office? I looked online this morning. Um, it, was it Leiden? Oh, I forget the reporter that did the story. I, I forget, but anyway, it was posted on several outlets for people to view. And underneath, and it's always dangerous to read the comment section, but anyone that simply asked a question about it, like, well, why is this happening? It was immediately responded with, well, you're a racist. Well, racist doesn't mean anything anymore. The word's been destroyed by the left. And I I would venture to guess that that's why either the local publications haven't picked up and ran with it. Well, which is a really frightening state of affairs. If half this is true, if half this is true... Mm -hmm. It's an extraordinary story. Let me give you the nutshell. Based on the uh, printed copy of the uh, story that accompanied uh, the news story, which I did not see. And I could, because uh, Reavers has provided me the video clip. Uh, on the morning of March 15, Fox 9 chased a tip about a man who was leaving the country. Sources said he took a carry-on bag through security that was packed with a million dollars in cash. Travelers can do that as long as they fill out the proper government forms. Fox 9 learned that these cloak-and-dagger scenarios, and I resent terms like cloak-and-dagger scenario. Because? Uh, you got something this massive, you don't need to use cloak-and-dagger terms. Just lay the facts out. Uh, now happen almost weekly. The money is usually headed to the Middle East, Dubai, and points beyond. Sources said last year alone more than $100 million in cash left Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport in carry-on luggage. 
And then they quote a guy who's the national go-to guy on these money transfers. Okay. Glenn Kearns, a former Seattle police detective who spends 15 who spent 15 years on the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force until his retirement. Got he some street creds. Sounds like a credible fellow, doesn't he? Well, yes. and the reason is a lot of the flights that are going there are going out of Seattle. Mhm. As Kearns dug deeper, he found that some of the individuals who were sending out tens of thousands of dollars worth of remittance payments happened to be on government assistance in this country. How could they possibly come up with such big bucks to transfer back home? We had sources that told us it's welfare fraud, and it's all about daycare, said Kearns. Okay, I I never would have thought this. I understand the need uh, to protect sources and and all often engage in anonymity. But again, if half this story is true, this is the biggest story to hit Minnesota in a long time. Right. I, I'd like some sources named. Come forward. Let's let's all get together here and end this BS. Right. To better understand the connection between daycare, daycare fraud and the surge in carry on cash, you have to look at history. Five years ago, Fox 9 investigators were first to report that daycare fraud was on the rise in Minnesota, exposing how some businesses were gaming the system to steal millions in government subsidies. It's a great way to make money, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman said. So we got Freeman on the record. Okay. In order for the scheme to work, the daycare centers need to sign up low-income families that qualify for child care assistance funding. Surveillance videos from a case prosecuted by Hennepin County show parents checking their kids into a center only to leave with them a few minutes later. Sometimes no kids would show up. Either way, the center would bill the state for a full day of child care for those kids. Can't do that. That's that's fraud. That's illegal. Video from the same case shows a man handing out envelopes of what are believed to be kickback payments to parents who are in on the fraud. Oh, let's get every one of these people. When asked where the money was going, Mike Freeman said, I don't know exactly where it went, but it adds up when you begin to look at how many people were involved. And then they uh, contend that much of the money does go overseas. Fox 9 obtained video of Fazia Ali being sworn in as a member of the city of Hopkins Park Board. Okay. All right. I will support the Constitution of the United States, she said. As she was taking her oath of office, she was also under investigation for wire fraud and theft of public money. State and federal agents had already raided Ali's daycare center in South Minneapolis. Huh. The business was suspected of billing the government for more than a million dollars worth of bogus child care services. That's quite a business, too, Why, by why the way. isn't this... <clears throat> I mean, a million bucks should set up, uh, set up, bring up a red flag first and foremost. That's a lot of daycare. We found records that she was collecting a significant amount of money for a much larger number of children than were actually attending the center, said Craig Lisher from the FBI. We are aware that some of the funds went overseas, uh, what she was cashing out, money from the business. When asked if he had any idea what it was going for, he said, I can't say. Hmm. Which means he knows, but he is trying to protect the case, correct? Investigators analyzed Ali's cell phone to track her activity. She took a two-month trip from Minnesota to Dubai and then Kenya, staying at times in $800 a night hotel rooms. Oh, that's nice. She used an app on her phone to bill the state of Minnesota for child care services while she was out of the country. 
What a great job. So wait a minute. So she used an app, so she didn't really have to be there. Right. But the app would make it seem as though she was there. She pled guilty to daycare fraud and in March started serving time in federal prison. She declined a request for an interview. Of course she did. <clears throat> yeah, she's in the slammer for this fraud right mm-hmm. now. Well, but she what, what was it? Three and a half? Three and a half years? I did. It doesn't say. Oh, I, okay. Sorry. Uh. Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I've read enough of it to be uh, uh, terribly convinced that uh, uh, Fox 9 investigative reporters are on to something. They need to keep it up, dig deeper, become more thorough, blow this up, get it out in the open, cast sunshine upon it. But which should also alarm a lot of people, and I'm, I'm not trying to rip the governor, but this was put, this information was given to him and members of the state, and nothing was done. Well, listen to this. <laughs> Excuse me. In 2015, investigators documented $14 million in carry-on cash at the airport. By 2016, it had grown to $84 million. Mm. Last year, $100 million. Huh. So it just keeps increasing. Fox 9 asked this Glenn Kearns, uh, if it's likely that some of the money is going to terrorism. I say absolutely. Our sources tell us that. Good sources from the community leaders, he said. My personal opinion is we need a nationwide task force to clamp down on this type of fraud. The crime is spreading. Sources told Fox 9 fraudsters, uh, sources told Fox 9 fraudsters in other states are now using the Minnesota playbook to rip off millions of public dollars meant to help uh, the children who would qualify for daycare assistance. Mm. That's uh, that's our money, Joe. I I think that uh, it's our money. I I I can have no further comment because I I didn't see the report. But as I say, if half this is dead on accurate, and I have no reason to believe that not that all of it isn't dead on accurate. Right. Why isn't this headlines all across the country? Right, let's go get it. Or at least expose it. Holy mackerel. Plus, I didn't... See, something doesn't square with me, though. What? Well, I can take a million dollars in a suitcase to the airport and get on a plane with it. This was surprising to me, too. But So I fill out the government form. Uh, in so doing, aren't I making myself susceptible to authorities at least wondering where I got the million bucks? Or where it's going? Or where it's going? Well, you'd think so, and you'd think your declaration, they would say, what's the source of this money? Well, I'm not sure that's their business, but upon the declaration of it, aren't you be making yourself culpable to authorities at least saying, wait a minute, how come uh, uh, Abdul there just got on a plane with a hundred with a million bucks? And then along comes behind him, you know, Siegfried with another a million. And then tomorrow there's three. How could this be? Now, people get to have a million bucks. Right. Yeah. You know, more power to you. And I guess if you want to haul it around in your suitcase, that's your problem. Pretty dumb thing to do at the airport. But but, but it seems to me that in many cases, reading this this account, the money was being uh, uh, ferried about by people who did not appear to have the means to have a million dollars. 
But uh, people working hard to uh, to find the uh, easiest path, huh? Boy, they sure found a crack in the system, didn't they? If, if this is... Systems. Uh, Jim? Yes. Go ahead. Hey, Joe. I'm the one who called you yesterday in regards to this story. A uh, couple things real quick again. Yester- our, on yesterday's report, it's Jeff Valiant, by the way, doing an unbelievable job. They had the whistleblower that worked for the state of Minnesota on there, mm-hmm. and he resigned with frustration after 10 years. Uh, he actually sent emails 14 months ago. To all the commissioners, Health and Human Services, et cetera, et cetera, got no reply at all. And Fox 9 actually requested the emails he sent. It took them two months to get them back mm-hmm. from the state, and they all were retracted. Hmm. Black lines everywhere, mm-hmm. just like the Clinton stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, he actually got a sit-down with Governor Dayton yesterday or whenever this was, and Dayton said, he knew there was fraud, but not to this extent. Mm-hmm. And supposedly they're having an emergency meeting today. So hopefully, I did hear this talked about pretty extensively on WCCO yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you can't find it anywhere. So please stay with this. It's ridiculous. Right, and I you. need satellite radio now myself. Yes, you do. Thank you. Uh, f- you don't have to give it to him. He's not on the air. Oh, you hung oh. up on him. Good. Okay. That was just a precaution. Really quick, by the way, I did send an email to, to Ballion to see if he had a couple of minutes. And unfortunately, he does not because he's still chasing other elements of this story. Uh, frequent emailer Kelsey reminds me, do you guys recall a month ago the, the, the guy in St. Cloud who uh, is worth a million bucks in property and on paper but has no income? He decided to straight the loopholes in food stamps and signed up for them. Yes. And got them. Mm-hmm. And he was just ripped to beat hell by the Democrats, including Governor Dayton, who said he's scamming the system. This is they went after this guy, who had no intention of of uh, depriving any child of a meal. Right, right. He, he just said, look at, look at. This is what you can, this is how you, this is how easy it is to do this. It's supposed to be based on in, in, income. Here, let me read it. Uh Guy's name is Rob Undersander. He had okay. little income on paper, but a million bucks in property and retirement accounts. Minnesota doesn't count those savings. Because Minnesota doesn't count the savings, I'm allowed to siphon unneeded welfare benefits, he said, because food stamps are based on income only. Well, there's a new bill now that would change that to also include assets like property and retirement accounts. I'm not sure that's going to... Not sure that's going to... If you need food stamps, it's unlikely you've amassed a property portfolio or or significant retirement accounts. But the guy's point was they don't even look at. Wow. They don't care what I'm worth. They wanted to know what my income was. So I tell them zero. I can sign up for food stamps. And he got he was just ripped, ripped to beat hell. But he's demonstrating how easy it is to uh, to to beat the system and, you know, be fraudulent. You know, the mayor of Minneapolis has come down from the salon, uh, Jacob Fry, and he wants an additional $50 million in the city budget to uh, create what he calls affordable housing. And when the left says that, you always have to ask affordable for, for whom? whom. 
And uh, it, it occurs to me that maybe there be you could get some of that uh, uh, money that's going out the airport, Fry. Maybe you could get maybe you could ask the Somali community to contribute because hey, apparently they got a lot of money, right? Plus, you've already volunteered to build a wall around their apartment complex and provide additional security and key fobs at Cedar Riverside. You don't want anything to be. You don't want this country to be protected. But as long as you got this Somali community there complaining and grousing about thefts and break-ins and we don't feel safe, you're more than willing to build a wall around Cedar Riverside. Why don't you ask him for one of those couple? All you need is 50 suitcases with a million bucks right. and you got your affordable housing. Instead of going back to the homeland, keep it here. Invest in yourselves. Jeez. Well, actually, we're telling them to spend fraudulent money. Well, we we are we are not in the technical position to take over what what Fox Nine is up to, or Channel Five would be up to, or CCO or Care Eleven. Right. Uh, all we can do is root for uh, Ballion and his ilk to keep going here, and that other news gatherers should pick up the pick up the slack here. Why isn't this in the Tribune? This is a very big and well. Hopefully, it's gaining. If 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 Governor Dayton met with these uh, this reporter today. Then maybe this is the they're going to start to pick up on. This it. changes the whole sus- sus- suspicious nature of of looking at your fellow passengers at the airport. Now, when I see a guy clutching the suitcase, I'm going to wonder, wonder if he's got a million clams in there. Right when he throws it on the scale, yeah. and it's supposed to be under fifty, but it's at about sixty-five, <laughs> and you can barely lift it. I think I might wonder what's in there. Is that what the law is, or the regulation is that your bag can't weigh more than fifty pounds? Oh, the airline usually uses that as a general rule. I don't know how much a million dollars weighs. That's a great question. Well, but probably, you're in different denominations. Probably, probably not fifty pounds would be my guess. Probably not fifty pounds. Who's on line one, please? No, oh, he's talking to him. Is height ready? Yeah, let's. Uh... Let's take a little break, come back with some news, and let's see if it made Johnny Heights newscast. All right. Joseph. Flying cash out of the country story, Johnny. Well, I I didn't have any info. Your news bureau wasn't deep enough until yesterday when we were alerted to it by our caller. Some I, budget cuts in the newsroom. I, I, I'm a little short staffed. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a little, little short staffed. Well, it's a roll one. of the dice, which oftentimes I do watch nine because they come on before five. Yeah, and I never saw this. I never saw yeah. this. It should it it should transcend being a television news story, and it should be expanded now. Yeah, you'd think you'd think the other outlets would at this point. You're jump such on a it. racist, both of you. <laughs> I know. It's sunny in sixty nine degrees. Levy dash pounds is behind this. What the hell? Where is she? She's coming up, by the way. Oh, oh. at the top of the hour, we're going to be talking to uh, Jess Christensen, who's a member of the group along with Anthony Boone and others, trying to save the name of Patrick Henry High School, and what you hear might surprise you. Hmm.
All right, I'm going to just unplug this phone. Feel it. <laughs> it's sunny and 69 degrees. This update brought to you by the Duluth Trading Company. Visit Duluth Trading Company stores in Fridley, Bloomington, Woodbury, and downtown Duluth. Twins Cardinals tonight at Target Field. Jose Barrios pitches for the Twins. Jack Flaherty pitches for St. Louis. If you didn't hear, former Twins player and manager Frank Quillacy died yesterday at the age of 79 after a lengthy illness. A native of Chicago, Quillacy made his major league debut with the Twins in 1965. He started all seven games of the World Series that year, had two hits in the same inning off Hall of Famer Don Drysdale in a win in Game 1 at Met Stadium. Quillacy spent the 66 season in the minors, but came back to play for the Twins from 67 to 70. Hired as a coach under manager Bill Rigney in 1971 and 2, and then went on to manage the team from 72 to 75, uh, putting up a record of 280 and 287 in parts of four He was seasons. a wonderful, wonderful guy to cover as a young reporter. Mm-hmm. He, Why? Because well, he was a decent human being. He was mm-hmm. just a decent guy. I, I lucked out. I had uh, Quillacy and Mock as managers. I remember early sports talk, uh, the Q would the Q call man. in. The Q man would Greg call Harrington. in. Greg Harrington, yeah. <laughs> yes. And he would be... Uh, oh, can you find any of that, or is that too difficult? No, I think I... Uh, is that all out in Maplewood, maybe? No, there's. I'm sure there's some here, right. but I would need some all right. time. I understand. Gotcha. So you're saying that they were both extremely tolerant of a young beat, right? Extremely tolerant of a complete <laughs> dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet, uh, I bet I know the feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> One other, did I just insult myself? I, I think, think you did. Think yeah. so. One other baseball note, Major League Baseball suspended. I once demanded to know why Tony Oliva wasn't put back in the game <laughs> after he had been removed. You, you're kidding, no, right? No. The first game I covered <laughs> as a reporter was the second baseball game I'd ever seen in person. Oh, my God. Didn't even bring a typewriter. Well, you the box on it. Why don't they put Oliva back in? What the yeah, hell? We'll, we'll did do, you uh, ask? I stood up in the press box. It was, hey, what? put Oliva back in. Yeah. Doesn't uh, nope. Oh, Pat said, "Hey, uh, skinny slam, why don't you take a <laughs> chair there?" Shut up there bro. Right, we're going out to Luigi's after this. One time, I asked Mock. I, he was he was waxing along with Butch Weiniger. They're talking about Gabby Hartnett, and I said, "I finally just said, who in the hell was Gabby Hartnett?" Oh, is that what inspired Mock to say he's all ours and we? No, that was him? about Gary Libman. Not oh, me. Okay. I wasn't as bad as Libman. Okay, so. You were covering a Major League Baseball team, and you thought they had a re-entry rule. Yep. Yeah, I kind of made up my own rule there, Joe. <laughs> like slow-pitch softball. I was re-entry a quick learner. Rule. I was coachable, but See, it took a while. Yeah, you just needed wow. to know the rules. Yeah, somebody oh. give me the rules. Student of the game at the time. Yeah. Well, hey, town baseball, you can do re-entry. Sure, yeah, you can. Sure. So there, I, I could see your confusion. Did you see yeah. my confusion? One other baseball note, uh, Major League Baseball suspended Mariners second baseman Robinson Cano for 80 games for violating Uh-oh, the league's what'd he take, John? policy on performance-enhancing drugs. Is he the one who just broke his hand? Yeah. He is, yes. Uh, the 35-year-old Cano was put on the disabled list this week with a fractured hand after being hit by a pitch. Uh, Cano is making $24 million this season. Ooh. He owed, is owed $120 million as part of a 10-year, $240 million deal. He signed in 2013 before joining the Mariners. He spent nine seasons with the Yankees. He's an eight-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glover. He was hitting 287 with four home runs and 23 RBIs with Seattle this year. Uh, He's also ineligible then, right? For postseason. For postseason, yeah. yes. That's I correct. know there's no analogy necessarily between golf and baseball, but when you look at these little waifs like Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth hit the ball 330 yards, they're not taking any drugs. These guys don't need to take these drugs to be good athletes. They just have the they're swing. They're just fools. They're just fools. Well, it's, it, Cano's a great athlete, too, which... Uh, That's you, what I'm saying. Why, he didn't need why, it. Yeah, why... 
why bother? Yeah. Alex Rodriguez. Why bother? Barry Bonds. Tommy, Barry Fle- Bonds. I could name you ten golfers who are skinny little waves. Tommy Fleetwood, Spieth, Justin Thomas, uh, Patrick Reed. No, he's he's husky. Husky. <laughs> Boo Weekly. No, he's husky. <laughs> Keep going, Johnny. Morons. News. No, wait. Let me ask you this. So, yes. back to his contract. Uh-huh. Why would you take those uh, drugs? That's a guaranteed contract, I would assume. Oh yeah, baseball. Sure. All baseball contracts are guaranteed. Then why would you? You're already locked in. Because you're a moron. Huh. Can I ask just one brief question? Maybe. So when you <laughs> stood up in the press box yeah. and asked why Oliva uh-huh. wasn't put back in the game, yeah. How, how strong was your relationship with your now three o'clock co-host? Very weak. Okay. Uh, very. Uh, I would pay a significant amount of money to have yeah. been sitting next to him when you asked that. Well, no, he question. used to ignore me. He yeah, would hang he out with take... other guys. He was still drinking then, and they'd be at a bar after a game, and I, I was the dork who would come up and go, "Hi guys, hey, what's <laughs> up? Hey, can I join you?" And they would go, uh, "No, we're a little tight up." We are ordering the left side of the menu. Please <laughs> remove yourself. <laughs> From this premises, I uh, I can't. Plus, imagine. you go to bed at seven o'clock right. with your Oreo cookies. I can't imagine why they thought you were a dork if you thought there was a reentry rule right. in Major League Baseball. I was in the worst place in the world to do that too. It was when the Yankees were playing in Shea Stadium. <laughs> oh. I was in New York. Oh my God! <laughs> News notes from today. Wow! With just days Shut left, up, Reavers. <laughs> Just days left in this year's legislative session, negotiations on a new state tax bill have stalled. Republican leaders met with Governor Dayton at his residence for an hour this morning to work out on an agreement. If an agreement isn't reached, it could cause confusion for many Minnesotans filing taxes next year. Governor Dayton holding tight to his request for emergency education funding to the tune of $137 million. B as in B, S as in S. However, some Republicans say the request is next to impossible this late in the session. The governor says he won't sign or negotiate with Republicans over the proposed tax bill unless an agreement is reached on that emergency education aid. Bottomless pit. White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway said yesterday she does expect to see a staff shakeup in the wake of the furor over leaked comments made during an internal meeting last week. Conway said on Fox News, I had several discussions with the president on this very topic today. Asked by Martha McCollum if she expects personnel changes as a result, she answered, I do, actually. Yes, I do. Conway's warning came hours after President Trump condemned White House leakers as traitors and cowards and vowed to discover the source of the problem. You know what I needed as a, as a, uh, a fledgling sports writer? I needed the crying room. <laughs> yeah, I needed that, to go to a safe place. That probably would have done you some justice. I needed to go to a safe place. That would have place. helped you. Yeah. Tom Wolf, innovative journalist and novelist whose writing covered the worlds of California surfers, car customizers, astronauts, and Manhattan's status seekers died yesterday in a Manhattan hospital. He was 88. Death confirmed by his agent, Lynn Nesbitt, who said Wolf had been hospitalized with an infection. In his use of novelistic techniques in his nonfiction, Wolf, beginning in the 60s, helped create the uh, influential hybrid new, uh, known as the New Journalism. We're going to talk about him coming up. He didn't invent New Journalism, but he certainly he certainly sharpened it. Mm-hmm. Among you read his stuff, Jen? I've read uh, the electric Kool-Aid acid test and the right stuff. I've That's read every word read. he's ever written. Did you, you did read? not read Bonfire of the I Vanities? was just going to ask you if you read Bonfire of the Oh, God, Vanities. yes. I did not read yeah. that. That's, uh, I have not. Just a fabulous writer. He came along, and what he did is he threw a, he threw a lit cherry bomb into newsrooms and the salons. <laughs> uh, known as a contrarian, uh, he's also known for his attire as well as his satire. Uh, he used to stroll down Madison Avenue in his uh, 
Uh, he had the vanilla suit, the three-piece mm-hmm. vanilla suit, pinstriped silk shirts, starch white collar, bright handkerchief picking out, uh, peeking out from his breast pocket, a watch on a fob, faux spats, and white shoes. Once asked to describe his getup, Wolf replied, neo-pretentious. Just a dandy, wasn't he? Just a dandy. <laughs> he had a penchant for spotting trends and then giving them names, some of which became American idioms. For instance, he came up with the terms radical chic and the me decade. Mm-hmm. What has the lowest smoking rate in the country, a wealth of farmers markets, a system of well-established parks, and our reputation as the hottest spot for health in the U.S.? Portland. Arlington, Virginia. Arlington, Virginia. Really? Named the fittest city in the U.S. today by the 2018 American Fitness Index Report from the American College of Sports Medicine. Number two? Minneapolis. That's correct. Minneapolis, number two. Isn't that precious? The index, for the first time, ranked the 100 largest cities instead of the 50 largest metropolitan areas. Rankings are based on citizens off uh, off cities, excuse me, overall scores, which include data on fitness, nutrition, chronic disease, smoking, mental health, access to parks, and, of course, public transportation. Well, you got to have that, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rook, can you take us to break, and then we'll come back with Dave Dahl? You cannot stop it. You just make me <laughs> Dave, there's too much pollen in the air. Yeah, there's a lot of it, that's for sure. The, all... Why wouldn't the rain have immediately wiped that out? Uh, yeah, it, it, well, it did probably a little bit last night, but then today it popped all out again. We yeah. have you know, all the sunshine, just, it doesn't take much to get that tree pollen to get into the air again. All so, right. yeah, it did wash it out a little bit, I would think, last night. Yeah. I didn't see the numbers all for right, I'm day. sorry I asked you. That's, jeez, oh, 69 <laughs> right now. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Heading for a high today of around 80 with mostly clear skies. Um, we're going to keep those tonight down to 60 again, and then tomorrow up to 84, and it will be a little bit more humid as we go through the next couple of days. So a little humidity coming into play tomorrow, and then again on Thursday, isolated thunderstorms developing by Thursday evening. 82 for the high on Thursday. Friday, scattered showers and a few thunder showers, quite likely 80 for the high, though, still. And then on Saturday, partly sunny, some scattered showers, much cooler. High temperature then of around 67, 72 with partly cloudy skies on Sunday. We're back in the mid to upper 70s early next week. Again, today, Joe, going for a high of close to 80. Right now, we're at 69. All right, thank you. Uh, John Height had in his newscast the death of Tom Wolfe, which is a major literary event in this country dead at the age of 88. Uh, Tom Wolfe was a purveyor of what he called new journalism. And boy, did I consider myself a disciple. I just... Uh, what was the... Um, I couldn't get enough of it. I just... Okay. Uh, and, and But he wasn't the only one. It was Gay Talese, Norman Mailer, Truman Capote, uh, Pete Hamill, uh, Mike Royko to a certain extent, uh, on and on and on. And it was, uh, it was a different way to cover... Nonfiction by the introduction of the same techniques used in fiction, which ended up giving the reader much more information. And you critics would argue that kind of going to depth of what? Well, it 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 used uh, dialogue, as 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 you would note, dialogue in a novel. Okay, uh, scene by scene construction, a point of view. And uh, detail, extraordinary detail. And 
it just ended up being marvelous stuff. Now, critics would say, well, that was a corruption of journalism, and they weren't sticking to facts. Yes, they were. Yes, yes, he did. I, I'd put his stuff up factually, you know, the right stuff, for example. Are you going to find me a more factual account of the of the astronauts than that? Mm. Uh, his novels just capitalized on all of the grunt work he had done capturing uh, a nonfiction in in novelistic fashion. And that's all new journalism was, was the freedom to, uh, well, look at Truman Capote in Cold Blood. That's an example of new journalism. It read like a novel. And yet it was entirely fact- factual. But because, because Capote freed himself to go beyond the perimeters of what was conventional uh, pyramid journalism... You got detail like you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. the colors of things and what people were wearing and and the dialogue. It was just it was just the best stuff in the world. And uh, I I copied. Uh, what do I like the New York Times for? Uh, you like the New York Times for its um, obituary. Obituary. Yep, so I got the eleven page obituary from the New York Times today, and I'm saving it for my night reading. Okay. You know what, man? It's good. I'm happy that that you find joy in reading those. Ob- I read the uh, Sunday obituaries from my night reading from the Pioneer Press. Electric Kool Aid, acid test, uh, bonfire, oh. the vanities, a man in full, uh, an acolyte of French novelist Emile Zola, and other authors of realistic fiction. The stylishly attired wolf was an American maverick who insisted that the only way to tell a great story was to go out and report it. Along along with Gates Elise, Truman Capote, uh, Nora Ephron, he helped demonstrate that journalism could offer the kinds of literary pleasure found in books. And I bought it wholeheartedly. I not only have read everything he's ever written, but I still have my copy of New Journalism, which he edited. And those that was a compilation of some of the best writers of the of the New York Herald Tribune era, for example. Gate Talese and Jimmy Breslin and on and on and on. I I might as well be talking to a mud fence. When did with he you write, two. when did he write his last book? Uh, did he retire and just and, and Well, he fighting he a little around. fighting a little illness and mm. uh Cookies and Milk before the reading or after? That'd be before. Before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Wolf's interests were vast, but his narratives had a common theme. Whether sending up the New York art world or hanging out with acid heads, Wolf inevitably presented a man as a status-seeking animal concerned above all about the opinion of one's peers. Wolf himself dressed for company. His trademark pale three-piece suit, impossibly high-collar shirt, two-toned shoes, and a silk tie. And he cared very much about his reputation. He married Sheila Berger in 1978, the art director of Harper's Magazine, and they had two kids, Alexandra and Tommy. And uh, he wasn't looking for his next meal. He had extraordinary success, just extraordinary success. He was the grandson of a Confederate rifleman. Hmm. He began his journalism career as a reporter at the Springfield, Massachusetts Union in 1957, but it wasn't until the mid-1960s while a magazine... I'm doing this because I know many GLers have an affection for Tom Wolfe like I do. Yeah. 
but it wasn't until the mid-1960s, while a magazine writer for New York and Esquire, that his work made him a national trendsetter. As Wolf helped define it, the new journalism combined the emotional impact of a novel, the analysis of the best essays, and the factual foundation of hard reporting. He mingled it all in an over-the-top style that made life itself seem like one spectacular headline. She is gorgeous in the most outrageous way, he wrote in a typical piece uh, describing actress socialite Baby Jane Holzer. Her hair rises up from her head in a huge hairy corona, a huge tan mane around a narrow face and two eyes open, swack, like an umbrella with all that hair flowing down over a coat made of dot, 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 zebra, those motherless stripes, exclamation point. Honest to God, I just, I couldn't get enough of that stuff. I just thought that was the best stuff I was ever reading. Well, it's too bad we lost him, but it sounds like he had a full life. In New York uh, was his dream, and by 62, he was working at the uh, New York Herald Tribune. His colleagues included Jimmy Breslin and Charles Portis, who later wrote the novel True Grit. The next year, Wolf was assigned to cover a hot rod and custom car show. His, he completed a story the kind any of the somnambulistic totem newspapers in America would have come up with. But he knew there was a richer, longer story to tell, one about the uh, subculture that captured the post-World War II economic boom and the new freedom to build monuments to one's own style. And uh, what did that result in? That resulted in the candy-colored tangerine flake streamlined baby. Oh. He also did Vroom Vroom, There Goes Junior Johnson. The uh, uh, moonshine running stock car race legend, Junior Johnson. But see, he would go and you tell an average reporter today, go do a story on Junior Johnson, and you're going to come back with a story on Junior Johnson. Wolf would go do a story on Junior Johnson, and he'd come back with a novel about Junior Johnson, but it was all true. (laughs) All right, I'm done lecturing. I don't think you're lecturing. I think you're uh, giving this to uh, closure on... uh Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf, 88. University of Garage Logic, 98. College of Self Esteem, zip, nada, nothing. Here's Joe Suchere. Reavers. Yes, sir, bro. Being the baseball fan that you are, you should make it a point to read the, the Gay Talese piece on Joe DiMaggio, the name of which escapes me, but I'll give you a line. Here's new journalism. Joe, said Marilyn Monroe, just getting off her plane from Korea, you never heard such cheering. Yes, I have, Joe DiMaggio said. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wrote it, you said? Gay Talese, T-A-L-E-S-E. I, the name of it escapes me. It's a very famous piece. Uh, Gay Talese also did a wonderful piece on Frank Sinatra called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. These were examples of what became known as... The silent season of a hero? That might be it. Okay. It, it, it starts off with Talese trying to track him down on the wharf in San Francisco. Cool. It's just it's just extraordinary stuff. Fifteen. We're going to be joined by a Patrick Henry namesaver in just a moment. 1500 ESPN is KSTP, St. Paul, Minneapolis, 